Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. I don't know how uh, that, that all sounded for all my, my listeners here. Uh, anyway, I'll, that was a Johnny Mathis Christmas song um, coming through on the speakers there. I'll talk to you about that a little bit. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Jim Ventura. It's your first time tuning into Snake Oil Radio. Um, I've been on the air for a couple of years now. We run our show every Thursday. Uh, a little bit about me. Uh, again, my name is Jim Ventura. I'm a professional uh, navigational consultant, which means my expertise is in astrology and numerology and tarot and uh, all kinds of different oracles like animal cards, angel cards. I have a home business uh, with uh, life coach consultations using all these wonderful oracles for many years here in my home office in Phoenix as well as uh, working with clients all over the country by phone. If you're interested in any personal sessions or information about any of that, go to jimventura.com and you can get some information. And I have a new client promotional special running right now, too, that you can take advantage of if you're a new client. Anyway, also, obviously, a a blog columnist. Today is actually a blog column show, um, so I'm going to read my current snake oil column live on air, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it uh, as well. Um, This... uh, Actually, uh, I am a published author. Also, um, I've done a published two books so far and a third one on the way. And uh, again, all that information is available on my website. But I do do a monthly column, Snake Oil, that goes out usually uh, around the first of the month by email to everybody. Uh, doing the column for many years, and I get a lot of positive feedback on that. If you're not already getting my monthly newsletter, email me at VenturaSag, V-E-N-T-U-R-A-S-A-G at yahoo.com, so you can be added to the monthly newsletter mailing list. Uh, so we've got a couple different formats for each show, and this is our usual first of the month, so to speak, show. So I always read the current column live, and then we talk a bit about that. This is a holiday edition. Um, I am not going to be taking live calls. On some shows, I do take live calls for a little quick uh, five-minute mini-readings for a few people in each show. Uh, we'll be doing that next week, halfway through our astrology show. Halfway through, I'll take some phone calls. And then I've actually got an added uh, feature this month, uh, December 19th. I'll be doing my holiday gift show, and which is I'm going to be doing pretty much a show exclusively all many, uh, well, many reads. We're going to pull an oracle uh, for each listener, uh, kind of a little Oracle Christmas gift to see what your Oracle has to say to you uh, during the holidays this time of year. Uh, maybe a rune, maybe an animal card, uh, Lakota Indian card. We've got all kinds of cool Oracles that we're going to pull on air on the 19th. Again, same thing. Uh, email me to get on the newsletter mailing list so you know when these things are happening. If you follow me on Live Talk Radio directly, you'll get updates on the show so you know which kind of shows we're doing. Uh, Anyway, so that said, there will be you know, two more uh, broadcasts this month. 
Uh, and then we've, of course, got the whole holiday thing, which would jam things up. So I don't think I'm going to broadcast during that particular time. Okay, so anyway, let's. Uh, this is going to be kind of a little bit of a shorter show, uh, probably like a half hour. Uh, normally my shows are 45 minutes to an hour. But uh, we'll do a live column read, and then we'll talk a bit about that. I'll mention why I play the Johnny Mathis Christmas song as well after I finish my column read. Welcome to the magical age of, age of 40s where I have to grab glasses to read now. Never had to do with that in my 30s and even my early 40s, but now i got to wear uh, reading glasses to read. Uh, okay, so this one's snake oil. It's called Christmas Gifts in the Attic. The magical window of my childhood belief in Santa Claus was only a brief one. Even as far back as five years old, I remember wondering how it was possible for all of the department stores and malls to have Santa Claus at their specific location at the very same time. I couldn't imagine how one man, even if he had an army of supposed helper elves, could possibly deliver presents to children all over the world in one night. I also noticed how my wealthier friends often got more expensive gifts than our family did. What did the poor kids end up with nothing at all? Was Santa only catering to the wealthy? Santa was supposed to come down your chimney and leave you your Christmas gifts. We had no fireplace in our house at all, yet we still got presents. And even if we did have a, have a chimney, how could such a lard ass fit down one in the first place? These and similar thoughts started extremely early for me. And I wondered why other kids bought all of this malarkey. The observation that nailed the door closed on idealistic fantasies about Santa Claus and solidified my realist, cynic approach to Christmas was because my parents were not very good at hiding our presents. I often see many of our gifts unwrapped at the bottom of Mom's closet or in the attic. I also saw Easter candy long before the bunny arrived, so that illusion was blown early as well. When I was six years old, I remember being awoken on Christmas Eve by the sound of attic stairs opening. My father built a pull-down stairs to our attic facing the bedroom my brother and I shared. He had to open the door to our room to get up into the attic. I clearly heard my mother and father's clumsy attempts at putting our presents out most years. They were often punctuated by their usual irritation with each other. Frank, don't forget the ones for Kathy. Hurry it up. I want to get to bed early. What are you going to try to do, break my arms? Wait till we put these down first. It would have had to have been a complete imbecile to still buy the magic fat man story after all of these theatrics. Many of my dopey friends still believe in Santa Claus. Apparently they were not blessed with the mind of a detective and happily enjoyed their delusions. I found myself feeling as if it was my duty to burst their bubbles early on. When I told them the truth, they would often disagree at first and be mad at me. Eventually they'd realize I was right. Still, I often reminded them that it would be wise to play along with the charade. The benefits of pretending to believe all this Christmas crapola were numerous. A good, sweet, oblivious child performance could bring tremendous rewards. I had no issue with pretending to be dumb, naive little kid for adults, and I made sure my friends were smart enough to do the very same thing. While my parents didn't do an ideal job of giving us the illusions of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny when it came to the holidays, they did a great job in other ways. With a lot of presents, Mom, Santa, bought us were mediocre, 
lame stuff from church bazaars and clearance sales, not what we really wanted, put in some real effort. She had seven children, and that was a lot of presents to buy. She always got us at least one or two things that were on our Christmas list. Opening up presents on Christmas morning was always really fun. Even when I knew what half of the gifts already were because I saw them or snooped around. I always enjoyed the process of opening presents just the same. The excitement of opening gifts was really exciting, and my parents made a point to make sure we had the experience. We had some wonderful Christmas traditions that we always followed. For many years, we got a real tree, until I was about 17 when they finally opted for a fake one. We baked cookies and decorated the house, and some years we made gingerbread houses. Decorated our tree together weeks before actual Christmas. We sometimes made Christmas ornaments and even strung popcorn. We hung lights outside, listened to Christmas albums, watched Christmas specials like Mr. Magoo's Christmas, A Year Without a Santa Claus, and A Christmas Story. We did Christmas up in a big way every year. There are still boxes of Christmas pictures and hundreds of great memories and funny stories associated with all of them. December was a really cold time in New York, but we had warm traditions at our home. While I missed out on believing in Santa Claus and many of the other holiday illusions, I got to experience elements of family and holidays that really mattered. The cohesiveness of a family and celebrated traditions were priceless. We learned about giving and receiving and developed a healthy sense of the importance of all of it. When I was a kid and even into my teen years, I would often get up in the middle of the night and look at the presents under the tree. The Christmas Eve gifts we bought for each other were often left were also wrapped and left out weeks before. Some nights I would clear a space to lay underneath the tree for an hour or so. I would turn the lights on in the tree and feel the soft white sheet we placed underneath it, the smell of the tree, the twinkle of the lights, and the excitement of things to come were only a part of why I love doing this. Some wiser aspect of me knew I would only be a child for a short time. And I wanted to fully allow myself to feel every moment of it. I was safe and loved in a family. And I knew it was blessed. I sensed that I had lived other lives in different families, times, and places that were not as wonderful when it came to my experiences in this current family. I also knew that there were people all over the world that did not get to experience many of the things I was so blessed to have. I had friends who would have killed for what I had, so I savored these moments underneath the colorful lights of our Christmas tree. I allowed myself to be happy and completely immerse myself into childhood and the magic of Christmas. So much for silly Santa stories and fairy tales, the real thing was so much better. Okay, so that is my Christmas column, and I actually wrote that column uh, back in 2011. I originally ran it in my snake oil column as well. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I've got a couple of, uh, I guess, funnier Christmas ones too, even though I guess this one was fairly amusing as well. Uh, and that's why when the show initially started, I was playing the Johnny, the Johnny Mathis song because uh, as a kid, my mom used to play, you know, Johnny Mathis and various other artists a lot. Johnny Mathis a lot. So we, you know, Christmas music was played, and it was all part of that uh, that time that we went through. You know, I have to say uh, it was it was interesting for me because again, I had a large family, and we had our problems. The mom and dad worked together; they were 
relatively happy with each other for the most part, and uh, and uh, they they really were. And um, you know, I knew I saw my I had a lot of friends that had broke came from broken families or had mean fathers or uh, you know all kinds of, of difficult things uh, that they were going through, and we really didn't have that. We had pretty good family life, and uh, Christmas was pretty freaking, you know, magical. Uh, you know, we did. We, we, we did. we did a lot of the Christmas traditions. It really was quite a wonderful time. And one of the things I would tell people is I, even my mom used to make us have to buy each other a Christmas gift every year. That was the rule. So while we hated it at one level, honestly, it was kind of a good thing. We learned about giving to each other um, of course, I had my older brother who was always angry at everyone and everything and got the worst, crappiest, meaningless presents imaginable. <laughs> you go to, the, you'd go to like the local food town. This is in New York. You go to the local food town and you pick up like just different random uh, bags of mini chocolate bars and kind of wrap them up in newspaper and throw them to you. And, you know, you'd open your thing and you'd get like, I'd get Mounds chocolate, which I hate coconut. But, of course, you couldn't give a crap. About about anything, but you know we can look back on that and laugh. That's just the way that he was, the miserable older brother at the time. And uh, uh, but you know what? Overall, it really was. We we did all those really queer kind of cute things at Christmas, and it really was a pretty fun time. And even sometimes it snowed and all of that jazz. But like I talked about in the piece, um, it was very funny because I had. You know, the whole idea of Santa Claus and all of it, again, very, very young age for me, I was like, eh, I'm not really buying this. Um, and and it's very funny because I was at a friend's house the other day, and it leads us to what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to give you some very interesting insight in today's show on a completely different uh, tangent from uh, Christmas information. And uh, I was at a friend's house recently, and his wife, you know, I was talking, I guess she had read the column piece or, and then she, you know, she was talking and she said to me, you know, I don't think you, you were as aware as you think you were when you were so young. I think you've kind of written that in your own mind that you were aware. And what she was addressing was that I didn't, you know, even at a very young age, I, you know, I mean, I excused Santa Claus and all of that stuff. I didn't believe in it. You know, even though I, you know, like I wrote in, I said in the piece, I played along and pretended I believed in it, but, um, she had said to me, you know, she thinks I kind of just doctored that up a little bit, that I did buy it. And the truth is, I really didn't. But it's a difference, and I know why she said that. I wasn't mad at her. I wasn't irritated with my friend's wife. I love her. She's one of my friends, too. But the difference is, her attitude is that of an idealist. And my attitude is that of a realist. And, you know... uh, at your attitude, there are seven different types of attitude that human beings can have. I'll tell you what the most common ones are, and we'll kind of go from there. But your attitude is really ultimately what you're wired into when you're born. Um, it, you know, it is part of our astrology. You can see various other ways in a person's chart. Um, it doesn't really have anything to do with your nationality or anything like that. You'll have one of seven attitudes, um, the way you view life. Um, that are wired into your being at a young age. That's why I always jokingly say, you know, whenever you hear that expression, what the one, you know, your mom or your dad was yelling at you, and they'd say, you better change that attitude, young man. You, you, in actuality, you cannot change your attitude. You're, you're wired with it in that sense. So my friend is an idealist, and I am a realist. And uh, so for her, 
as, uh, as is the case for most idealists, there's a different type of perspective on the way we see things. So I'm not exaggerating that. I did. I was piecing together all of that information at a young age. The Santa Claus stuff, it didn't make sense to me. You know, my bumbling parents with the presents, all of it. It just was impossible to me to even see that. And yeah, very, very young age. In actuality, I will also say it's one of the reasons, like I was raised Catholic. Uh, we went to Catholic school, all of those things. Even a little later on, 11, 12 or so, I really began to question a lot of the teachings of Christianity at a young age, really questioning it heavily in a, in a similar type of a way. Um, and it really was a, one of the things that launched me into studying metaphysics. Strangely enough, I wanted to learn about other cultural perspectives and see which ones made more sense, which ones were blowny, which, you know what I mean? I wanted to, to see because I really did. I had a lot of problem with a lot of what Christianity was attempting to say was facts, what wasn't, you know, various other things. And listen, and again, as I said a minute, I'm not attacking Christianity. You know, I do have, um, I do sometimes quote things. I think Jesus is amazing, you know what I mean, all that stuff. But, you know, a lot of Christians are icky when it comes down to it. They're not really following the truth of their philosophy and their religion anyway. And uh, there's a lot of mis misconceptions that are within that structure as well. And the biggest of all, which is really largely meaningless, but, you know, Christ would no way have been born on December 25th. You know, not Capricorn. Um, far more Piscean in approach to things. And that's a whole other subject. So what I'm going to talk about today on this kind of short Christmas show is I want to talk about the seven different types of attitudes that human beings have. Listen, um, guys, this is going to be a big help to you. When you can identify your attitude, you can, uh, you can examine the positive and negative poles of it and also begin to understand why other people will see things differently than you. So, yeah, it's a good show. Listen. Listen to what I'm, I want to talk about here. You really will gain some value in understanding this. I had done a show a couple of months back on one's modus operandi, one of seven modes, the way we achieve our goals. This show is about the way we see life and our attitude and the perspective that we take. So it's important to understand that there are seven of them, and not everyone has the same attitude. You often will get along with people with a similar attitude as you, and you'll often find the ones that don't have the similar attitude to make you frustrate you in that sense. But again, you cannot change your attitude in the way you view life. So all of that said, let's talk a little bit about what the seven attitudes are. I'll say which ones are the most common. Now, this information I'm giving you, is uh, based on the Michael teachings. I've talked about this many, many different shows. Um, the Michael teachings are a series of channel books that have come out in the uh, late 70s, 80s, and even the 90s, I believe. There were still books coming out, multiple channelers channeling the same information. Very cool. I do classes on this, uh, and I do these even in sessions. I usually talk a lot about these type of things to help empower people. Really great material. The original books were called Messages from Michael, the author was named Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough, uh, and then she followed with a few more by Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough, and uh, Jose Stevens is another very famous Michael Channel who published some amazing books as well, too. So you can check some of that out on your own if you really want to. But at this point, let's talk about the seven different attitudes, and you'll see how this does influence us, and, um, and we'll kind of go from there. Uh, again, guys, uh, as I said in the beginning of the show, this is kind of a shorter show. 
Um, and I'm not going to take live calls uh, at all today. Um, I generally don't on my live column reads, um, but I will be taking uh, calls next week on the Astrology Show, halfway through the show, for some quick mini-readings uh, for callers. And then on the 19th, I'm going to do another uh, show uh, called my Christmas Gift Show for my uh, listeners, and uh, I'm going to pull a gift of a, a specific oracle for you. Um, and uh, for your Christmas message. So we'll, the whole show is going to be devoted to that on the 19th. So if you're waiting on, on, on that, um, that's a good show to tap into. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, glasses back on here, the seven attitudes. Now I have to pull out the little chart, which is so funny that I'm even pulling out the chart. I've got all this information logged in my head already. So as I said before, there are seven different types of attitudes that human beings are wired with. And your specific attitude is really ultimately chosen at birth, meaning it's part of your wiring during a lifetime. Now, not every lifetime you'll have the same attitude or way of looking at things, but, um, uh, but the attitude that you have in this life will stay with you. Um, there's something called sliding that I'll explain to you in a little bit. That'll give you insight where there's some flexibility within the system. But again, ultimately, the attitude is fixed. So, Seven attitudes are skeptic, idealist, stoic, spiritualist, cynic, realist, and pragmatist. So those are the seven attitudes. I'm going to go into a little more detail on this. The most common attitudes um, are realist, with being about 30% of the population, idealist, being another 30, 30% of the population, Pragmatist being approximately 20% of the, of the uh, population. And then the rest um, all divvy up, you know, independently. The most uncommon is spiritualist. And I'll explain that again shortly. The other ones kind of break up into a little bit of a different uh, ratios here. Okay. So let's start with uh, skeptic attitude. Now, every attitude or way we view life has a positive and negative pole to it. So the positive pole of skeptic is investigation, and its negative is suspicion. So what we get here, of course, is people who are skeptics are often um, very, very good at investigating. They don't often take things at face value. When you tell them something, they'll often have that look in their eye, like they're kind of squinting a little bit. They're not sure if that's necessarily correct, but they'll listen anyway. A lot of old-school newspaper reporters and, and uh and and uh, and, and uh, people that that create things uh, in that sense um, are, are skeptics. Um, really, the brunt of, of of the the advancements that we've seen in the world uh, in terms of of uh, things that are created and and uh, and got gotten done really actually end up coming to skeptics more often than not because of their ability to be so thorough in investigation. The negative pole is suspicion. So if you're skeptic, the negative pole, again, remembers suspicion, where you're overly doubtful in a way that becomes, you know, just negative. You know, a lot of times skeptics in the negative pole will be jumping to the conclusion that someone's lying or trying to scam them or cheat them or, you know what I mean, without necessarily investigating. So there's a line between the two. But again, if you're a skeptic, you'll often get a lot done, and you'll often be really painfully thorough in your approach to things. You don't accept things at surface value. Now, uh, maybe 
five percent of the population has a skeptic as an attitude. It's not as common. Um, way more common attitude is idealist. Idealists see life through the lens of how life should be. So, uh, which is interesting. Uh, oh, let's say not how life should be, how life could be. It's probably a better way of putting that, although there's a similarity to that. Um, positive pole of an idealist is coalescence. It's negative is naive. So coalescence is the ability to kind of see how things come together. Idealists love this. They love a lot of, a lot of very spiritual people who are idealists in that sense. But even if you're not, they want to see things as they should be, and they love to watch how something can come together and coalesce. That's something ideal, uh, idealists ultimately love. The negative pole, though, is naive. And, you know, hardcore salespeople and, you know, uh, <laughs> some car salesmen and various other things, they love getting hold of an idealist. Uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witness coming to the door, they will be a little happier getting hold of an idealist in that sense because <laughs> the naive, when it kicks in, is, uh, is uh, you know, they because they want, something or it should be a certain way, they often get focused on that, 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 that becomes more important than how it actually is. So that's the negative pole of, of getting trapped in the, in the reality of being naive in that sense. But its positive pole is coalescence, and that is really where the idealist shines in their ability to watch how things come together. Now, before I go further on the, talking about the other five attitudes, let me tell you something that's kind of interesting that I think will help to give you a lot of insight. If you're an idealist in your attitude, you will sometimes slide over to the attitude of skeptic. Um, that's what's possible. Where we cannot change our attitude, we have the ability to slide. So the idealist will slide into skeptic, and a skeptic from time to time will temporarily slide over to idealist. Uh, because you see this in operation, and there's, a, there's really some interesting healing work that can be done with understanding the positive thing the poles. Because if you're an idealist and you're being naive um, about relationships, situations, all kinds of things, if you slide over to the positive pole of skeptic and begin to investigate the situation, that will bring you back to the positive pole of idealist, which is coalescence. The same thing if you're a skeptic who's caught in being overly suspicious, you can slide over to the positive pole of idealist and watch to see if things coalesce and they come together as opposed to getting trapped into that negative angle of suspicion. So all the attitudes work this way, so I'm going to kind of explain those two as we talk about the pairs. So the next two attitudes are both uh, less common. They are stoic and spiritualist. The stoic is the attitude, is often taken as an attitude in a lifetime when you have a lot of things that you have to overcome or difficult things to handle. You know, a lot of, um, many, many, not all, many handicapped people, people going through real difficulty will take uh, a stoic attitude. I worked with a chef years ago that was a stoic. He was just calm, cool, and collected. Uh, I call it the true John Wayne syndrome. <laughs> it's like the rock of Gibraltar. Positive pole of being a stoic is tranquility. There's a peacefulness about them. The negative is resignation. So resignation is, the negative pole of resignation is not even trying. The circumstances are too difficult. I'm not going to bother. Why should I even put any energy toward it? You just have to accept it the way that it is. Um, that's the negative pole for a stoic. 
But the positive pole is tranquility. They really can accept a lot of difficulty and things in a way with a really quiet grace that many do not have. So uh, very, very powerful. Uh, again, also for, for very karmic reasons, people on take an attitude of stoic. Then there's the spiritualist, even less common attitude. Maybe 1%, 2% of the population has this attitude beliefs. Spiritualists see life um, as it, uh, you know, it, even well, the idealist life sees life as it, as it, uh, as it should be. Uh, the spiritualists see life more as it could be. Um, you know, spiritualists, that verification is the positive pole of spiritualists. They see elves and fairies and things behind every, uh, every corner. Uh, you know, a lot of UFO investigators, a lot of Bigfoot investigators, um, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, spiritual teachers are spiritualists. They have that glint in their eye, that magic, that ability to be, uh, you know, to see things uh, through a lens of, of possibility. Um, it's positive is verification, though, where they're, they, they're, they get that verification that's something that they, you know, believe to be true does show up and surface that way, which is very positive for them. The negative is beliefs, and you'll often find spiritualists in the negative pole can get caught in the trap of being, you know, almost dogmatic in their beliefs about things in a way where they're holding on tight. Again, I'll catch a lot of UFO people. Again, I'm not putting all UFO people down. Some people are probably very legitimate on that, and uh, I'm not even going to get into debate about uh, aliens or any of that on today's show. But, you know, sometimes they become you know, consumed in a way with how they believe things uh, to be. A lot of, um, you see some people with um, conspiracy theorists that come the negative because they're focusing too heavily on it. Now, here's the interesting thing, again, about spiritualist and stoic. They can slide back and forth to each other. For spiritualists, if you're a spiritualist in your, your attitude, and you're getting caught up in what you believe to be true as opposed to getting verification on it, if you go over to the positive pole of stoicism, tranquility, you'll often bring yourself back to verification. Same thing if you're a stoic who's becoming resigned about what you can or cannot do. If you go to the positive pole of verification, a spiritualist, you'll often find yourself moving back to the place you want to be, which is a positive pole of tranquility. Okay, now, the next two are cynic and realist. Um, the more common, of course, is realist, and less common is cynic. Cynics make up maybe 5% of the population. Um, how do you know if you're a cynic or you know if you're dealing with a cynic? Positive pole of cynic is contradiction. Negative is denigration. Now, the cynic sees life um, really from the lens of uh, how it isn't. Uh, and uh, a lot of good comedians, a lot of people that have a real knack for, for, for viewing life through kind of a negative lens have, uh, have this cynic attitude. Uh, Paul, again, is contradiction. Uh, they, they see bullshit. They're good at it. They can spot it. They can smell it. Um, George Carlin, very famous cynic. Uh, really gifted in his ability to see that, you know, crap. And that's something very funny about it. Uh, negative pole is denigration. This is a cynic's trap, which is getting caught in everything being bad or wrong or negative. Everything sucks syndrome. A more common attitude is the realist. Positive pole objective, negative pole subjective. Uh, that's my attitude. I was born a realist. 
which is interesting that a realist got into the metaphysical field, <laughs> which is probably one of the reasons why I think a lot of people like working with me because I have a certain uh, viewpoint on life that's uh, you know uh, expansive while at the same time being pretty realistic in the way I see things. Uh, uh, positive pole of realist is objective though, and and you know you get the Judge Judy syndrome. You know, all realists are little judges at some level. They, they're they very good at seeing things in a larger picture and being objective about um, about uh, about uh, circumstances and situations. Uh, I, even at a young age, people are always coming to me for advice. I do that. I was good at being objective. I can see. Uh, it's one of the reasons I, I have such a strong following in terms of counseling work. So I am very good at helping people to see things clearly. I've always been good at able to do that. Positive pole of realist is objective. Negative, though, is subjective. And here's an interesting factor for realists, and you know you're a realist if you get caught in this trap of subjectivity from time to time, which is that tendency to make everything is about you somehow. Everything that happens is somehow connected with you at some level. Uh, realists can get very uh, one-sided sometimes with uh, how they take things when they're caught in subjectivity and they've made it about them where objectivity feels much more comfortable if you're a realist. So again, these attitudes slide. If you're a realist, you can slide over to contradiction to get out of subjectivity. See the bullshit. That'll get you out of being, you know, look at the contradiction. It'll get you out of that feeling of, of stuck being subjective about something. And if you're a cynic denigrating too much, if you go over to the positive pole of realist to become objective, you'll actually see things more clearly. Listen, I always say this. As a realist, it doesn't mean that you cannot see things from a spiritual lens. Uh, there is a reality of spirituality. You know, it's, I think that's one of the reasons why I had a tough time initially accepting the angelic realm and getting angel cards and working with that. Because as a realist, I just thought, uh, just too goofy. But you know what? When I did work with it, I found that it really, it really does exist. The spiritualists are right. You know, it, it, of course it exists. I mean, it, it's just... Uh, you know, there's a lot of baloney mixed into that information, uh, but uh, but there's some. There, it really is another realm of existence that you can call upon and use, and that will assist you. Uh, so this is one of the things that's very funny too. You can hear this when I talk. Sometimes people will say, "I've had friends that have said that." Oh, you're very negative, but all realists can slide a little over to cynic. That's kind of a natural place. I do it a lot for humor purposes, probably more than anything else. I just don't do it to make people laugh, and uh, I've been told I'm good at that. Okay, the last um, and fairly common attitude, a lot of people have this one, about 20, 21% of the population is pragmatist. Uh, pragmatist sees life in just terms of efficiency. Positive pole of pragmatist is practical. Negative is dogmatic. How do you know you're a pragmatist? Well, you're practical. Pragmatists, you know, research things in a way where they often take the most practical road to achieving or solving anything. Um, my mom, I was raised by a pragmatist. My dad was not a pragmatist, but my mom was truly a, uh, was truly a, my dad was more of a stoic. Uh, my, uh, my mom was truly a pragmatist and, uh, she was incredibly efficient, uh, you know, just in everything that she did as, as pragmatists typically are, um, very noticeably so. They're really good at getting things done. The negative pole though is where the trouble comes, Do, uh, dogmatic which is a tendency to say that everyone should do it their way, that the way they've researched and figured out is the correct way. It's going to be a trap that pragmatists can get caught up in. Like other people get irritated at them. Now, pragmatist is a neutral attitude, uh, the assimilation neutral attitude. So pragmatist 
has has multiple places it can slide to. This is what's interesting about pragmatists uh, and what you see in the mind. A pragmatist can actually slide to any of the other attitudes. So pragmatists can be practically skeptical, practically idealist, practically stoical, practically spiritualist, practically cynical, practically realist. But again, they'll slide to them temporarily. This is what happens with the slides. And then they always want to go back to being a pragmatist in viewpoint. But pragmatists do have the ability to slide to all six of the other attitudes, although usually what you'll find with most pragmatists is that they've got one or two favorite landing spots that they'll go to. Okay, so that's a quick little synopsis of understanding attitudes. It's really kind of cool to to you know, jot these down um, and, and really think on this because you know, identifying your own attitude, of course, is helpful because, of course, you can... Uh, differentiate between positive and negative poles. Very good work. But also you can understand and identify others. Listen, people have different attitudes. If you're uh, one of my closest friends is a pragmatist, he's married to an idealist. And yeah, they, they, they annoy each other <laughs> a lot of times, understandably so, because they have different attitudes. But they are wise enough to understand what they, that they understand they, they're not wired the same way. The attitudes are different. Um, so that's very, very key. Uh, again, friends, you know, you'll often, uh, you know, I can, I, I had a, my sister is a, real, a little sister that lives in Phoenix is a realist. Her husband's a realist. I'm a realist. And uh, we had a friend for a number of years who was a spiritualist. Uh, and she would just, you know, she enjoyed us. She'd laugh but, uh, at the way we saw things. But I can tell after a while she would always kind of see us as too heavy. She even would think that, that we were too negative, you know, in our viewpoint. And, yeah, to a spiritualist, sometimes uh, realism can seem negative, you know. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. Again, it's just points of view. Okay, I've only got a few more minutes here. So um, this, I, I, I went on a different tangent this time because uh, it was my Christmas uh, column show. But, uh, you know, I actually did a show on this. Uh, I read that column and talked a bit about my family traditions a couple of years back, back in 2000, late 2011, early 2012, when I originally uh, wrote that piece. So I thought I'd take a little different road this time and give you guys some good information about uh, looking at the different attitudes. Uh, these Michael material stuff is where this information comes from, and I will be doing... Uh, some online classes in latter point of 2014. So if you're not already getting my monthly column, email me, VenturaSatch at Yahoo.com. Get on the mailing list, guys, uh, so you can get updates on that information and take advantage of all the specials and things that I run from time to time, as well as get to read my column every month. Uh, call, um, your, your emails are never shared, so the blind copied out. You know, it's just a once-a-month column, so definitely worth getting. I'll be back here again next week and uh, to do our update astrology show. About halfway through our show, I will take a couple of live calls for quick little mini readings and questions. And then definitely be here on December 19th for our listeners' Christmas show. And the whole show is going to be devoted to all callers. Um, and I'm going to get uh, probably pull a little name out of not necessarily name out of hat. I'll take the callers as they come in and I'll. Uh, I'm going to do a little oracle poll for everyone. You'll get to maybe I'll choose one or maybe I'll let you choose which oracle you want. Be the poll for you and see what your holiday message is at this time. Okay. Hey, thank you for joining me today. This is Jim Ventura. Um, Dan, if you're interested in any of my services, go to jimventura.com. Check out what I have to offer there. You don't have to live in Phoenix uh, to have a session. You can do sessions by phone. 
they are by appointment. I'm actually getting kind of busy. I guess my popularity has increased. So uh, uh, sometimes it's a week or so before I can book you in. But yes, I still want to make sure I can always uh, squeeze people in here. Anyway, again, thanks for joining me today here on Stake All Radio. We'll be back next week. And every have a wonderful, wonderful night or day, depending on when you happen to listen to this uh, this show. Cheers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.